Hi, this is Sal with the Archangels of Justice, and I'm bringing you another episode on self-defense. Last week, we talked about various weapons. Today, I want to discuss a little bit more about firearms. I'm going to start off by explaining the difference between the typical two types of handguns that people carry concealed for self-defense and more than likely probably keep it in their home as well. The different types of handguns are pretty simple. You have either revolvers or you have a semi-automatic. A revolver is a handgun that typically holds between five and six bullets. And it has a revolving cylinder with a hole or five or six holes. Each one of those holes would hold a bullet or the casing projectile. And you would close it. Once it's in that closed position, it's ready to fire. Most people carry when you're talking revolvers, the double action type revolver, which means you simply would pull the trigger to fire the weapon. The older style handgun revolver would be called the single action revolver. It looks a lot like the double action, but the difference is you have to cock the hammer back each time you wanna fire that particular kind of pistol. That one, the, the revolving mechanism, which contains the chambers, which the bullets go in, does not swing out like it does in a double action revolver. That one has a loading gate where you open the gate, you put a bullet in, you revolve this chamber or, or the cylinder yourself to the next chamber and put another one. It's a very slow process compared to the double action. Still a good weapon. It still works very well, but it takes a lot more training to use it and to use it properly. Safety is always the most important thing to keep in mind when handling firearms. Never point the muzzle, the end that the bullet comes out of, at anything unless you intend to shoot that thing. Treat every weapon whether it's a handgun, a rifle, or a shotgun, as if it's loaded. Never just think that a weapon is not loaded. Always check it. Always have the muzzle pointed in a safe direction when doing so. The other type of handgun that I want to mention at this point is what people sometimes refer to as an automatic. It really is a semi-automatic. It will only fire each and every time you pull the trigger, it will not just shoot by holding the trigger down and shoot successfully until it's out of ammunition. That's not how it functions. It has to be depressed each time. Now, the semi-automatic pistols that are available out there are very, very wide and varied and, and designs are run the gamut which I'm not going to get into that too much, only because these are such a personal choice for people to make. 
is when you decide on a handgun to carry for self-defense, it's up to you to decide what's comfortable for you. What do you shoot accurately? What is reliable? You know, some people buy guns thinking the gun's going to do the work. That's not how it works. You can load a gun, lay it on a table, fully loaded, and it will not fire on its own. It will not defend you on its own. It's like any other tool. A hammer doesn't hammer nails unless you swing it, and a saw doesn't cut wood unless you're sawing with it. Weapons are no different. The differences between the revolver and the semi-automatic, irregardless of what type you decide to carry, the safety is you. Even though some of these weapons come incorporated with safeties that you have to turn on and off before using the functioning of the weapon, you are the safety mechanism. Remember that. As far as what you decide to shoot, what's better than the other, my personal preference may not be your personal preference. I have various types of handguns, and I shoot all of them extensively, revolvers and semi-automatics. I enjoy them all and have no problem carrying any of them for self-defense or using it in home defense or having it in my automobile for defense of work. There's, I mentioned in the last audio about calibers. You know, what, what is the caliber of a weapon? And I think I mentioned that for police and military use, typically what is recognized as the minimum caliber is a 38 special, which you would shoot out of a revolver, or the 9mm semi-automatic round, which obviously you would shoot out of a semi-automatic which typically in a normal handgun, I'm not talking about some of these crazy big giant magnums that they're, that they're sell, being sold. So about in the normal world of defensive work, the biggest caliber is a 45. Now you can have it in a 45 ACP, which shoots in the semi-automatic pistols. That's the 45 caliber ACP, but they also make a 45 caliber long Colt. Now, the 45 long Colt is an older cartridge designed back in the late 1800s when they started using um, actually encased cartridges like we're familiar with today. Um, the 45 ACP round was designed in the early 1900s. And still, both of them are very, very reliable, very powerful rounds, and excellent choices for self-defense. Though the guns that chambered for those are a little bit on the large side, but not impossible to handle. I have trained quite a few women in the use of the 45 ACP in the auto load, semi-auto loaders, and also in the 45 long Colt and revolvers. It really depends on how much time you want to put into your training and whether or not you can handle 
the size of the weapon itself, or your hands large enough. With that being said, there's nothing wrong with the 9mm or the 38s. What it always boils down to is shot placement. Where are you putting that bullet? Is where you stop the fight. Now, there's a lot of talk in the gun magazines and all this yada yada about one-shot stops and all so, so on and so forth. In my career, and in speaking with countless other firearms instructors and police officers, a one-shot stop can actually even happen with a 22 caliber. Not a guarantee, but it could happen. It really boils down to where that bullet strikes. And I think, I believe I mentioned in the last video that one-shot stops are pretty much guaranteed when you hit a central nervous system target, which is the brain or the spinal cord. Both difficult targets to hit and require an extensive amount of training to be able to do so. And as I had mentioned before, typically trained police officers and training civilians for concealed weapons carry and self-defense in other situations. I always trained them and all the police officers I know and other trainers train people to shoot for center mass, which I had mentioned before is the largest part of the body as you're being attacked, which is typically the chest. And that contains the heart and a lot of arteries and bigger, big blood vessels and organs in that area besides the heart. I mean, sometimes shots wind up in the liver and so on and so forth, which is lower than the heart. But keep in mind, the idea behind shooting someone in self-defense is to stop their unlawful attack on you or a loved one. That's the bottom line. You're trying to stop someone. Now, again, some people can absorb a lot of lead and then not stop them. So the rule of thumb is, is you shoot until they stop. Until they stop doing what they're doing that caused you to shoot them in the first place. As I had mentioned in my last audio with you, I have investigated cases where people were shot fatally, but were able to continue to fight were able to continue to move about until they succumbed to the blood loss or to the injury itself. And that may have been anywhere from 20 seconds to a full minute. A lot of damage could still be done to you in that 20 seconds to a minute if they have a gun or a knife and they're continuing their advance. Just because you shoot someone doesn't necessarily mean they're going to drop. The other type of weapons that I want to talk about right now as far as firearms are shotguns. A shotgun produces an enormous amount of power in a relatively small package. You do not have to buy a big, big shotgun. And I'm talking physically large. And I'm talking about the the gauge. Now we talk shotguns are referred to as engages. And the funny thing about a shotgun is a 410 is smaller a gauge than a 12 gauge. Okay. Police and military carry 12 gauge shotguns 
for their duty work. They typically carry them loaded with buckshot or a single slug in each shot shell. Most of these firearms, these shotguns, carry five rounds of shot shells in their magazines. Double-lot buck, 12-gauge, typically is nine pellets in that cartridge of about a 30 caliber of each ball that's inside that sh shotgun shell. So when you think about having five rounds of buckshot in your shotgun, you actually have 45 projectiles coming out of that if you shot it all five times. But each time you pull that trigger with double-op buckshot, you're sending nine 30 caliber bullets, essentially, into a person. Typically, that one shot will stop them. The 12-gauge slug is about an ounce of lead, about the size of a man's thumb from the knuckle joint up, and makes a tremendous hole. The issues with slugs is the penetration. They typically will go through and through. So it's not a good choice for inside of a house. The buckshot is a better choice, but it still can penetrate through drywall walls. If you were to you know, actually hit the wall, miss your adversary and so on and so forth. So you have to think about what's behind the walls, loved ones, people in, in another room, so on and so forth. The same thing goes with, with handgun rounds. When you start thinking about each projectile that you're sending out of that thing, where is it going? Handgun, 9mm up to the 45, will penetrate through several layers of drywall. Why do police carry hollow points? And why do I recommend hollow points for people for defensive work? And I'll tell you that right now. A hollow point is designed to expand when it hits the target. So when it hits your intended target and it starts to penetrate into that part, that part of the body, it expands and it slows down. So it imparts all of its energy inside the person with less chance of it over-penetrating and exiting their body. Now, the military is not allowed to use hollow points by virtue of the Geneva Convention. And the other reason being is that the military ammo that they carry, the full metal jacket or the FMJ, you'll see boxes of that in stores, is basically a completely encased projectile. The lead itself is encased in a big copper or brass shield over the top of it. Their round nose, they typically feed extremely well through the automatic pistols and also through their um, the AR-15s or better detonated for the military is their, their M-16s or their M-4s because there's no, no hollow point that may, may or may not get jammed up on the feed ramp that is being fed into the autoloader. Now, Again, let's set that FMJ aside. The full metal jacket is not an appropriate round for civilian use or for police use because it has the tendency to over-penetrate, and we don't want that. We don't want that. 
If we shoot a bad guy, we want the bullet to stay in the bad guy. We don't want it to exit him and hit an innocent bystander or go through the wall and then shoot one of your loved ones in another room. So we're going back to the shotgun issue, and we're going to talk about what's the best round for defensive use inside your house. Well, believe it or not, buckshot and, and slugs are fabulous, but what I found in the close distances inside of a home, and this was this was actual practice, we, we actually tested and trained with these, was birdshot. Number six or number eight size pellet of birdshot. Number six and number eight in the 12 gauge is a hundred pellets or more. And they're very small, like BBs smaller than some BBs. They will cause a significant amount of damage and blood loss with less risk of overpenetration and less risk of blowing through a wall and injuring someone on the other side. That's not to say that you're not careful about where everybody else is in the house. Because when you start shooting, things can happen that are unexpected. You have to always remember that. And this is why when I talked about before, the being aware, you always have to give yourself that edge. You don't want to be taken by surprise. You keep your doors locked, your windows closed and locked. If you have an alarm, have it on. If you have a barker of a dog, pay attention when the dog's barking. Most of us know that when our dog is barking, sometimes it's barking at nonsense. Other times we know when the dog is seriously barking at a possible intruder. Be alert all the time. Know where your loved ones are. Have a plan of action. Shotguns. I want to go back to the shotguns again right now. You can buy shotguns as a double barrel where you have two shots and only two shots at a time. You shoot boom, boom, and have to reload it again. You know, side by side or an over and under. It doesn't really matter whether the barrels are stacked on top of each other or side by side. It really doesn't matter. You can have a 410, a 20 gauge, or a 12 gauge in the house. Any one of those are devastating. Okay, the next type of shotgun that typically comes to people's minds are the pump shotguns that you typically see on police shows where you have to pump it, you shoot, you pump it. And what you're doing is when you pump it, you're ejecting the, sh the fired casing. And when you pump it back forward again, you're putting another casing or shot shell back into the chamber to be fired again. Takes a little bit of time to learn how to use one of these quickly. Takes time. The semi-automatic shotguns are nice because it's like the semi-automatic pistol. You pull the trigger, it goes off, it loads itself again because it uses the, the spent gas from the first shot to load the second one in. It ejects one, loads another one. And typically, a lot of people like these, they're more comfortable for them. But whatever you choose, you choose what's affordable to you, what's reliable, and what you can shoot accurately, and you're comfortable with it. And you have to train, 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 train. I can't emphasize that enough. Don't just go take a class and shoot a box or two of ammunition and think you're ready. You've got to shoot on a regular basis. You have to. Really, you cannot just shoot once in a blue moon and go, oh, I'm ready, and not touch the gun for months, you know, wherever it languishes. Um, 
you know, having several different firearms at your disposal and in different spots in your house is a wonderful plan, especially if you live in a larger home where maybe you have one gun in the bedroom and now you're under attack in the kitchen and your bedroom's on the other side of the house. Having guns in strategic locations throughout your home is extremely important. Also having pepper spray or the pepper gel, like I've mentioned before, and strategic places throughout your home. If you keep it in one spot and you get attacked in the garage and your weapons are in the house, they really do no good for you. You have to think about things like this so you don't get caught off guard and you have and you're ready for just about anything. Remember if there's small children about then these weapons have to be kept in a safe, secure area where these children can't get to the weapon itself. They make trigger locks. That slows down your ability to access the weapon when you need it. You have to take that trigger lock off. Um, there are handgun safes that are very, very quick to access. You know, you have a certain number of fingers you push onto this thing to open it, and it opens, and you can get to your weapon. Again, Anything that slows you from getting to your weapon is detrimental to your well-being. But you have to think of safety and you have to think about kids and other people unauthorized access to a weapon. So you have to make these plans yourself at some point. These are tips that I'm giving you that are extremely important. Something I, I want to address, and I've, I've taught this many, many times, and I've said this before, don't put yourself in a situation that forces you to use deadly force. Always use your head. If you can avoid a situation, avoid it. If the situation finds you and you have no recourse whatsoever, then you have to do what you have to do. Inside your home, if you can and you have time, when the house is being broken into and you can get everyone into one room, a bedroom, say, for example, and you, everybody behind the bed and whoever can make the phone call for 911, make the phone call. The person with the weapon, keep a train down the door. If the intruders come into the door, you make a decision at that moment in time, shoot or not to shoot, but get everybody in one spot if you can and have the police on the way. It's great if you have someone that you've trained how to use the phone and how to make the phone call. These are the kind of things you need to practice during the day when there's no stress and then practice at night with the lights out where you can initiate a little bit of stress. Now, whenever time you hand going after handguns and you're doing things like this, it should not be loaded. It should be an empty firearm that you're doing these training exercises with. And of course, you don't want to call 911 for real. But you definitely want to have, if you have a house phone, unplug it and teach the child how to dial the 911. If it's a cell phone, most cell phones are set up now today to where you can make an immediate emergency call. If you could set up your phone to do that, that would be great and show your child how to access that or whoever's with you. Practice these things. I know it sounds silly, but in the moment of truth, when things really go bad and the adrenaline's pumping 100 miles an hour, you'd be funny. You'd be surprised how hard simple things become. But when you train and you train and you train and you make it second nature, it becomes a very smooth 
and a very fast tactic because you've trained yourself to do it. You don't have to think about it anymore. I want to close today with this, this short segment on firearms and thinking things through for yourself and getting some training. Next sec, next section, we'll get into a little bit more depth about other weapons. I'm going to bring up some of the electronic weapons that are available in the next one, but not tonight or not today. Enjoy yourselves out there. Stay safe and stay tuned for the next one. Remember, if you haven't heard me say this before, I'm going to say it now. I wrote a book called How Not to Be a Prime Crime Victim. It's available on Amazon, on Kindle. You don't need a Kindle Fire or whatever it is to read it. It'll download to any electronic instrument today. It's only $4.99. And essentially, it's a little more in-depth than what I'm doing with the podcast. And it's a great reference material for you. So have a great day. Be safe out there. And train, train, train. Thank you. This is Sal from Archangels. Until next time, goodbye. <laughs>